This is Geek Speak. I'm Lyle Troxell. I'm speaking with Brad Smith. He's the founder of Simplecast, which is a... Well, we'll get a lot into what Simplecast is. Imagine it's a distribution system that benefits the data analysis of podcasting, but also allows you to publish a podcast without doing the crazy things I've been doing for years at Geek Speak. Brad and I have one thing in common. We both have our first name on Twitter. He's at Brad and I'm at Lyle. <laughs> so if you want to look us up or subscribe to us, whatever, you can do so there. Brad, your company is still smaller than the town you grew up in Missouri, which had 60 people in it. <laughs> but you're distributed. Uh, Simplecast yes. is distributed. Mm-hmm. And you're in New York, which is a long ways away from a small town. How long have you been in New York? Uh, I've been in New York a little over 11 years. Um, prior to that, I was in Boston for three years. Boston was kind of my gateway to get to New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, and before that was was Missouri. So yeah. born and raised. Uh, started my first company there in 2000. Which company was that? Uh, that was a company called Nubix. We oh, yeah. were... The internet was young and wild and crazy, and you could just, uh, you know, we built websites. Yeah. And, You've been doing uh, that biz for a while, right? Because your startup that you sold, um, Verve, was also a website building company. Yeah. So uh, Nubix was more of a client shop. Yeah. So we would work with companies on brand development or, I mean, we were just a design shop, uh, and websites were part of that. Uh, later on in years, Verb, that was kind of like a do-it-yourself. So that was the, um, and it's still up and running today. Um think of a Squarespace or a GoDaddy. Um, So we just kind of, that platform launched originally in 2008. Uh, We launched it as a uh, kind of MySpace competitor, but with a focus on design. And we had a really great start to that in, I guess, 2007. Was it a Uh, social network kind of like MySpace? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. When it originally launched, like the, the verb that you see now that is now a GoDaddy product, like it was not that when it originally launched. Like we were a social uh, social network early on that made it very easy to customize. Design was a big focus. Yeah. We thought like back then you had LiveJournal, Facebook was ugly, or Facebook didn't exist at that point other than, you know, to EDUs. Uh, MySpace was atrocious. Yeah. Um, and, you yeah, know, a lot of people hacked it. But right. It did yeah. Not you ever could, you like could hack your your about bio and put CSS and HTML, which is and, really a bug. I mean, I obviously, know. that was a bug. And then we were like, we should build a customizable social network. So, over two years, a lot of things happened. And uh, one, this company called Facebook kind of went live to the world. Yeah, and they, and, they got popular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you've heard of it. Yeah. Maybe you have an account there. Uh, and when you mentioned EDU, you meant um, education email addresses. Right, right. Because yeah, yeah. originally Facebook was just open to, uh, to educational email yeah, hence addresses. Hence the early adoption. I was, at, I was at a university, and so I had a .edu, and yeah. so I was able to join early. Um, yeah, it's interesting because, of course, the benefit of these systems were having an online presence and being able to write and share with people. Prior to Facebook, of course, MySpace was really mm-hmm. the, the dominance on there. Yeah, and that was the thing. Like we were kind of fighting the social network battle. We had a real, we had a large amount of early growth, but a lot of things happened. Facebook, Tumblr came along. Tumblr did a great job. Too. Yeah, Tumblr did a great job, and it kind of got into that space to where in in late two thousand nine. You know, we started assessing like, hey, is this one what we want to be as a company? Like, mm-hmm. do we want to be in the social networking space? And two, I really think we should pull back and look at how people are using our platform. People weren't using our social media tools, but they were all over the design and customization tools right. because we allowed you to build a social media profile that imported from Flickr and Twitter. And basically it, it aggregated all of your social together to kind of build in some ways a website. Your personal website, too. Your personal website. So people were using our social media, our social network tool to basically build websites. Yeah. Uh, And then that was kind of the the decision in late 2009 that we were going to pivot the company and we were going to kind of throw away the social networking tools and go all in as a, you know, 
easy to use, beautiful uh, website builder. Right. Still with the import tools and the, yep. the feed tools and all that. Yep. And then at some point you sold that. Um, and then you started your next venture right away into podcasting or did you do something in between? No, I did a, did a few things in between. So podcasting was kind of all in that vein. So one of our big values and mantras at Verb was to help creators kind of get their content out in the world. And that could have been a, a filmmaker. We had a lot of musicians on Verb. Um, some very people, uh, very early interviews, which we would later come to find out were podcasts. Uh-huh. And so we kind of had that vein of supporting creators to do what they do yeah. and to help them be more successful and get things out there to the world. So after Verb, I decided I'd spent, you know, 15 years of my life in kind of like the internet and technology and software companies. I was like, hey, I want to look at the other side of this, of helping instead of the software that helps people put their stuff out there, let's help people make better content. Uh, and that was when um, I launched a incubator. But instead of like you might think of an incubator for tech companies where they give you resources and help you grow your startup, we were an incubator for content brands. So basically, how do you, how can we help you be more successful at building your content? And like scaling? a musician and that kind um, of thing, or? more focused, kind of in the the like digital magazine format, okay. mm-hmm. um, podcasting, um, a lot of digital focus. Um, in addition, like there was one brand that I've done a lot of work with over the years, and it's called The Great Discontent, and. It's a creative uh, interview series. There's that a print stopped pub- a year ago. Yeah. What's going on? I, uh, I, would, <laughs> I would see you know if you, you you're a person that helps people produce well, podcasts the, and publish. The, and- the co-founder of the Great Discontent is now my head of design at Simplecast. So if you've noticed that things have slumped off over there, it's because he's very busy elsewhere. I see. So you, um, you stopped the creation process in that yep. form and re- retargeted it, right? And so through the process of Wayward and working with multiple brands and kind of helping them grow. Um, we launched a live event series for The Great Discontent. We would bring three creatives, three artists in. We would interview them in front of a studio audience, and we decided to turn that live series, it was called TGD Live, into a podcast. Um, And I guess that was probably... 2016? uh, When we were doing that, it was probably 2015. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So 2015, we're doing TGD Live, turning it into a podcast, and... I had done podcasts way back when, like 2005, 2006. Early. We, yeah, at Nubix, like we hand-coded an RSS feed, like we did all this. And then I kind of didn't give podcasts another thought until we, you know, 10 years later are at the Great Discontent producing TGD Live. Kind of had that realization that, wow, it's, 20, it's 2015 and the infrastructure and how podcasting works is still very much the way it was in 2005. 10 yeah. years had passed. Right. And you're like, this um, is the same thing. What's going on here? Yeah. So that little bug inside of me that likes to build like SaaS and software products for the web started kind of thinking about, okay, maybe we need to build something in, in podcasting. Yeah. So I decided to kind of put the incubator, you know, full stop and go focus back on something in the in the software arena. Yeah. And a good friend at the time. So I basically reached out to my former CTO uh, from Verb. We had worked together for almost a decade. I was like, hey, do you want to leave your super successful, you know, job, well-paying career and come to a potential fledgling startup? <laughs> Uh, and he said yes. So he came over and joined us. When he joined you, mm-hmm. and as you started collecting those early people, f- from a business perspective, finance, were you were you funding this yourself? Yes. From your from your current from your previous sale of, of Verve, you had some funds. Yes. So you were able to start it without any money. You could pull some yep. people together first. So there's nice. there's two ways that the the simple cast that was in 2016 came to exist. One was it was bootstrapped, very 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 bootstrapped. 
Um, and then two, I knew where I kind of wanted the company that we were going to build to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, we wanted to build something in the podcasting space, kind of the trajectory that I want us to have. I had a friend at the time who was a podcaster and had built an MVP of a product um, that was a really easy to use but, uh, podcast publishing platform. It was called Simplecast. Um, his name was Josh, and I basically started meeting with Josh about, hey, Josh, you've kind of got something with a lot of potential over here. Um, you're not, you know, kind of, you don't have the desire to turn this into a company and grow it. Um, I would like to. So in uh, 2016, um, Wayward at that time, the incubator, we actually acquired the assets of the very early Simplecast. Oh, so you just bought it from um, that developer. Yeah. So, so uh, did you also take that person on or did you just purchase it outright? No, it was just an ATSA, oh, asset purchase. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, have you ever checked in with him? Oh, yeah. And yeah. How's that? how does he feel about it? Good. He's married now. Okay. Um, yeah. So it was kind of one of those things. He had other things. He was he was writing some books and really focusing, and I wanted to build a software company at right. the time in the podcasting That's space. That's great. I so. love that story rather than just doing, you know, you looked and said, oh, this is kind of something I like. I like the name. Let's talk to that person. Well, I, like I mean, that. it was a great opportunity because, yeah. like, if you can bring in a brand and a name and, you know, we have a mutual agreement with somebody else, like, I'm going to help this thing grow for you. Um, you know, Josh certainly got equity in the company. So yeah. if like it does very well. Yeah. Um, and what Simplecast is today is very different sure. from what it was three right. years ago. Well, you've got but a team of people working on it. It, it was that it. catapult. So instead of bringing in my CTO and Stephen uh, and kind of building something from scratch, it catapulted us forward a year. Yeah. We, we kind of had something to start with. And software development, there's a prior to having anything, the start point is very tricky. Right. right, because you can overthink that for too long, and you can also, you know, go down a road where it's an exploration and you fall on your face quickly. Exactly, you know, you don't know or slowly. Right, and so having that kind of initial start is a good way to. Yeah, I mean, we thing. we yeah. basically had a proof of concept on day one. Yeah, and not a lot of companies are lucky enough to do that because you spend your first six months developing your MVP to put it out there and go, oh, now we cross our fingers and right. wait. Right. And that was kind of the big fear that we had back at Verb when we did the pivot. All of our revenue was generated because we were a social network, so it was ads. Yeah. And the day that we pivoted, we moved to a paid SaaS model. Right, because if you have a personal website, you don't really want ads on it. Yeah, and we flipped a switch and launched a new product, and it's like we now hope that what we've built <laughs> That's risky, man. gives value to creators yeah. um, You know, or we're done. Yeah. Uh, we are going from an ad model to a pay-to-play, like a subscription model that you have to pay to use the software and the product. Um, and Which is simpler to the business model of Simplecast as well, mm-hmm. right? Yes. So, you got when did you get VC? Like when did you actually collect some money together yep. to actually hire and, and grow larger? Yeah. So we the team stayed extremely small uh, all the way through 2017. Oh. So we closed a very small seed round at the end of 2017 and grew the team to about seven or eight people at that point. Uh, and the following six months, we just had exponential growth. It was not but six seven months into 2018. When it was decided between the board and our early investors that like, hey, there's an opportunity here. We should go out and, and raise. Um, so and with what purpose? To hire more staff? Yeah, or, yeah. To, basically, to basically grow the company. Mm-hmm. And that's some insight into Simplecast. Kind of we'll, we'll get into kind of what the company is about and the view on technology yeah. and software. But we are about 75 to 80 percent product. Um, we're not a sales heavy organization. We're not a marketing heavy organization. Like we're a software company. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, of course, like, you know, your software iterates and develops as fast as the team can grow. So yeah. we went out and raised a Series A with the entire focus of that money not being towards, you know, marketing, not being towards sales, but 
growing the team. So this is not my expertise space is, is business. I've never done business very successfully. So the question I've got for you, when you take that portfolio to start raising, mm-hmm. you have that plan in place. You're like, the money we're going to use is going to be hiring these in, this amount of engineers. So this, and these are the yes. targets we have for the first year. Like, yeah. It looks like a business plan, just a business that already exists. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And it's, it's like, hey, I'm an investor. I want to write you a check. Yeah. And d- don't don't just tell me about vision. Tell me, like, how are you going to implement this money? How do I know you're not just going to take half this money and go out there and buy, like, Google AdWords with it? Yeah. Do Are we going to improve the products? So, and how is it, how important is your team at that point when you're doing that? Do you do you travel around with your CTO as well? Are you How much is it they, the, the potential investor looking at who you have on staff? Um, so because we're small and scrappy, especially with, with raising, like, my CTO is – a full stack developer right. like he is in the trenches with my team every day mm-hmm. um different from a lot of you know ctos sure. um so definitely when you're out there talking i i talk about the team a lot yeah. i think of like if i was to look back at the series a pitch deck like we have several slides that talk about the talent and the capability and this individual who is our head of infrastructure did xyz our head of design did abc right that's an important um, piece it's an important piece because investors when you're that young as a company Sure, you've got the vision for what you want your software to be and your technology to be and where you want to go in the industry, but you're only as strong as your team. Right. And I think that's one of the most exciting things about building companies is the the software and the product and the outcome is amazing. And it's exciting to see people enjoy using it and to be able to give creatives these tools that they haven't had previously. Um, but I think for me, like the the reason I do this over and over and over again is because of you get to build this organization of of individuals and talent that help you grow what you want to grow. Yeah. Okay. So that's the the why you're in it. Yeah. 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 And then of course the when you're doing that that pitch deck kind of thing after you get checks coming in mm-hmm. are those people also on your board are they helping guide you and such? Um, it's a mix. Mm-hmm. So um, some you know you do form a small board once you take venture capital. Um, you know. The other investors, some tend to be advisors. Uh, we do have multiple investors that I do, you know, uh, monthly check-ins with to see kind of, I want to tell you how the company is going. You are an investor. I would love your insight into what have you seen from other startups. Yeah, so you're you're building um, kind of partnerships with all these people. They, absolutely. They're a big part of what your company is after that point. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's for anybody out there looking to ever bring on because, you know, VC – I have never done VC before yeah. um, before Simplecast. Yeah. Um, private funding was how we basically built Verb. Um, and it's different. You know, I would tell anybody going out for the first time to raise is don't go after the biggest check. Go after one what you need. Right. And, <laughs> and a good relationship. what you need. Right. It, no yeah. more than that. And the other most important thing is raise around a relationship. Find an investor that believes in what you're doing that believes in the vision, that will get behind you and support you. Um, It doesn't matter that you might have somebody else out there willing to write you a bigger check. If they are not on board from you from day one, um, you know, that person will have a lot of say and influence in the future of the company. So when you take investment, number one, be sure to align with, um, you know, be it an angel investor or a, a massive VC, be sure to align with them early on. Yeah. All right. This program is called Geek Speak, so we do have to get a little geeky. First off, <laughs> do you consider yourself a geek? Um, absolutely. 100%. Oh, okay. <laughs> and why is that? Uh, Let's hear some cred. Uh, okay, some cred. We'll go back to the beginning. Uh, I, well, I was joking at dinner about this last year. So um, we were talking about sports at dinner last night, and I said, 
I was more proud to never do that, but instead was president of the science club for three years. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah I that mean, puts you in that place. Yeah, Me too, right? It is. I, I don't I, know sports I, at all. But. I flunked out of college because I got my first computer and I what decided. What was it? Yeah, it was a 386. It was a Packard Bell. Oh, nice. Um, I remember when that first time I was like, I bought a four gigabyte RAM chip to upgrade that thing because it came with like one megabyte yeah. and i was like i have a brand new computer now <laughs> uh, it was a packard bell and i i would miss class because i would stay up all night learning html css asp yep. um so i would do all this stay up half the night i even started bringing in a few early clients and doing like website work for them because at that point and building it on tripod and hotbot and yeah. Uh, all those different sites. So you businessed out of school. I businessed out of school, <laughs> un- you know, not intentionally, but it yeah. was like, I'm learning more here behind this box connected to this thing called the internet than what I am in school. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah, good. And th- we yeah. got that established. Okay. I, and then the next thing I want to do is, and of course we could geek out on that, but I want to talk about our, our relationship and why I actually know you and such. Yes. Um, a couple years ago, I started, uh, listeners of Geekspeak would know this, I started uh, an internal podcast a few years ago at Netflix talking with employees, and pretty soon we realized that could actually be beneficial to other people, and so we have this public podcast called We Are Netflix. And when I launched that, I hand-coded the XML. Um, I threw up an Amazon instance because we're Netflix and everything we do is on Amazon. So it's pretty easy for me to throw up an instance. The domain name is kind of based on the path that I created. That's why it's weare.netflix.net. Um, and then I started hand coding. Now, what I've done for Geekspeak over the years is built a Ruby on Rails content management system specifically for the podcast. So when you go to geekspeak.org, you're actually seeing a Rails app that's not efficiently created. As a professional software engineer now, I look at it and go, ugh, but I don't have time to rewrite it. And, of course, you know, it's free, if you will. I just don't have a monthly except for the hosting cost. And my wonderful patrons of this program actually support the program enough to cover that cost, you know, the 40 bucks a month or whatever it is. But in um, building those tools and then launching a new podcast and looking at what what I could do and what I couldn't do – I just did it fast as an engineer and hand-coded. And sure enough, I'm looking at the XML doc. And since the time I wrote – I've updated the podcast thing. So I'm I'm familiar with the space that Simplecast is in, right? Creating a good form XML document, making sure that that's readable. Just a a quick how podcasts work for the people that don't understand this exactly. You throw up a web page that has an XML document in it. The format of that is an RSS or an Atom document. It doesn't matter that much. Um, And inside there are item entities, and they have a link to an MP3. And every person's podcast subscribing app, the podcast player, actually connects to the website directly and downloads the feeds from there. Mm-hmm. So even though people talk about iTunes being important, and they are, that's really like a search discovery mechanism. Absolutely. And then after that point, it's, it's not the relationship with Apple anymore. Right. Though there's some changes around that space we get into. So I'm fascinated by that, that space. I've been podcasting weekly since 2005 for GeekSpeak. Of course, as I turned on other podcasts, <laughs> I slowed down the cadence. So this is more like a monthly show. But... Um, or 2005 is an early time to do that. Yes. Yep. And so I've kind of known the space and seeing how it's changed over time is interesting, but also seeing these tools that actually make what I've been doing kind of because I'm an engineer possible is, is kind of what your business is about in some yes. ways. Right. And it is a complex problem. And so we moved, um, we are Netflix two episodes ago over to Simplecast and Simplecast and Netflix is making a relationship for, I think a lot of the podcasts yes. we produce. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, all of, a, all of a sudden I'm like making comments about 
this one fragment I didn't like in the XML document. I did it differently than Simplecast did. And I'm judging it off of my hand-coded versus a tool. And of course, I'm a software engineer, so I'm also thinking about your problem space. So I sent a note just to the rep that's been talking to us, some, one of, some of the people on your staff, and you contact me back. And I'm thinking you're an engineer because we're like, getting into the, the weeds. And I was like, oh, this is the CEO. Okay, we got, I got to talk to this guy more. So, who, who also is very ingrained in the product and the technology behind it. it so like, I was like, I, I actually want to answer this question. Yeah. Please introduce me to Lyle. <laughs> yes. So it was really fun to like get talking to you and thinking, we, you know, just two engineers were chatting and I find out you're the founder of the company. That made me definitely appreciate, uh, you know, the problem space. And and I kind of want to get into the minutia a bit about these things just yeah. to get that that level. One of the things we were talking about is that, you know, the, the RSS spec was pre-Apple being involved at all. Absolutely. And when they took it on and kind of said, how do you get a fee- how do you get an RSS uh, a show up on iTunes store, they added some new... Um, uh, new t- new tags, new what do they call new tags? Yeah, new tags mm-hmm. to the XML spec, and they namespace them iTunes. But because they were the leader in this, and everybody podcasted through them first, everybody's kind of using Apple stuff too. Absolutely. And so the document, this XML has this interesting format. Have you ever done like a lot of XML stuff prior to X, prior to uh, RSS stuff? Not in regards to audio, but yeah. back in like the way you would consume website content. Yeah, via RSS. Feed. Yeah, yes. and you were talking about you were talking about a- a- ASP. Mm-hmm. ASP and XML were very friendly yep. with each other, so you mm-hmm. could you could load and actually Internet Explorer could actually load XML and XSLT documents. My early web development stuff, I worked for a radio broadcast uh, website manufacturing company uh, called Feed the Monster in in Burbank in like two thousand. <laughs> They went out of business. They were backed by a couple of companies. But we did radio station websites, and that's the format we use is XML yes. and XSLT. Um, so I'm really familiar with it. But seeing the namespace of iTunes be in the dock and then that kind of be the de facto standard for podcasting has been an interesting yes. change. So I was kind of pointing out like, well, you're using summary, and we kind of got in the nitty-gritty of this idea. And I thought something that was really interesting was thinking about the details of that and why I do it specifically is almost like religious to me rather than practical mm-hmm. and you're like practically wanting to let a lot of people publish podcasts you've got right. to reduce a bit of the complexity right. right yeah i mean and and that's the thing like there you have to think more about okay we are the distribution platform we'll get into the analytics and everything later but like what we have done is we have basically put a easy to understand ui on building an rss feed give us your title give us your show notes format those show notes with markdown or html our platform generates dynamically a RSS, you know, an XML document that, that is distributed around the world. And, you know, when some device, a podcatcher, if you will, if we really yeah. want to talk 2005 here, you know, hits that RSS feed, it basically says, I want to listen to this specific item, this episode. And then it fetches back to us to say, get that MP3. And then we stream the MP3 over the internet into the specific device that they're listening on. And normally those, those devices download it and don't stream right. it. Or they stream right. it to get it, but then they that, keep that's it That's been the trend. That's starting to change, thank God, which we'll get into oh, really? when we well, talk about analog. Um, well, I mean, downloads kind of means that an MP3 goes into a black box. Right. You have no idea if a person listened to it. You have no idea if they listened to it. You have no idea where they dropped off. Yep. Um, and so you're noticing a lot of apps. Like even now, if you were to go out and buy a brand new iPhone and the Apple Podcast app, by default, it no longer is set to download all new episodes automatically. Oh, that's good. Um, yeah, you can go in and turn that on, but by default, it's not going to say just new episode comes out at 2 a.m. on Tuesdays, download it. Um, so when does it download? When someone starts pushing play? Or? When you push play. And yeah. it doesn't download it. It yeah. actually it fetches it. it. Yep, it, it fetches it in, in smaller chunks. 
Um, you can hit the download button if you and want to. And hence the affordance for the download button, right? You're about to get on a plane, download, 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 yep. get on the plane. Exactly. Like I do the exact same thing. I will open up uh, right before a flight takes off and I will hit two or three episodes yeah. to download. Um, but other than that, I rarely ever hit the download button. Um, you know, plus. So it's interesting because if all the apps were doing that, the statistics you'd get would be more valuable. Absolutely. Because right now, you know, I know how many downloads happen on GeekSpeak. That's it. I don't know if any yep. people listen to it, right? Right. Um, it's interesting. It's, it was fun trying to explain that process, by the way, to colleagues here at Netflix, mm-hmm. because of course we stream everything. We know exactly how many bits of people. We do have download support, but we right. actually have the client report back so that we know: do they need to keep that on disk or not? You know, can we erase it? You know, right. So there's a whole process to make it very easy for the user, um, but we do know whether it was played or not. Yes, and that's not the case on all podcast players, right? Well, and so definitely the the ecosystem I want to talk about yeah. because when you control the origin, which is say us in that case. And you control the delivery point, um, the data that you can get back is is flawless. Right. I mean, think of Netflix in that situation. Right. Like, I'm not watching Netflix on YouTube. Right. Uh, you know, the content is published through Netflix. I am consuming it through Netflix. Right. The content is published through Apple or through YouTube. It's consumed on YouTube. Right. So you have that end to end. Podcasting is not that way. Yeah. Podcast podcasting is what it is because it's been this open, no permissions needed ecosystem. Yeah. You, Lyle, in 2005, have the permission and the ability to make an MP3 of whatever audio content you want and know that you can freely distribute that on the internet. And there are devices in 2005, not a few of them. (laughs) There was a few devices known as computers um, that, you know, could actually fetch that content. You did not need to be part of an ecosystem. You did not need to be part of anything else. So to get back to your question about the iTunes tags, Apple was the first company to say like, hey, there is all this free information, all of these RSS feeds out there on the internet with audio appended to them. And so what iTunes did, Apple did at this point, is they basically allowed iTunes to aggregate these and they became the directory, the de facto directory. You wanted to find a podcast. You didn't have to search the web anymore. You went to iTunes yep. because all iTunes was doing was just how Google indexes the web. iTunes was indexing RSS feeds. So Apple was kind of the first big player in the space, and they dominated for for a very long time. I would say they're still dominant. Oh, yeah, they're still dominant. It's just now there's more players in the space. No pun intended on players, but you know what I mean. Um, There's more players in the space now. Still 100% absolutely dominant. And because of this, that's... They kept their hands off of a lot of it for a long time, right? Mm -hmm. It was until recently, that was all they were doing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so a lot of things, especially if you just go back three or four years ago, where Apple started to take podcasting a lot more seriously and introduced an actual app on iOS devices called Apple Podcasts. That's where they started to get very specific about actually we can do categories this way and we can do this way. So what they did instead of kind of rewriting the whole RSS spec was they added new tags that were specific to iTunes. Okay. So basically, if you wanted things to work well with an Apple podcast, you would use these new specs. And at that um, time, Apple podcast was also the dominant player, yep. like the, the, the audio player itself. Mm-hmm. Still is, looks Still like. Still is. From the stats I see. So yep. what happened is you had this RSS standard out there that Apple had had a lot of say in, and they were helping move the industry and the standard forward. We're going to introduce tags. We're going to introduce categories and all these other elements. But then you had other players start to come into the space and- Third-party developers started building listening apps. Um, you know, jump ahead to Spotify and um, you know Google Podcasts. So what happened in a lot of these cases were, in, 
the RSS spec with iTunes information was already in there. So these other developers that started building these other consumption apps for audio just used the spec that was there. Right. Like Spotify actually uses the iTunes title tag to populate what is in Spotify, even though they're not iTunes. So right. Apple was just there very early and they were kind of the first one to see the value in the open ecosystem of audio. Yeah. And they had a lot of say in kind of that RSS structure. Which still carries through today. Unless Spotify changed recently, I don't think Spotify uses the Apple tag. Because when I was doing the hand-coded, I right, was... Right, because we have... have two. two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's two. Yeah. This is, this is part of that kind of detailed, like, historic document being kind of messy decision on how to do move it forward thing that we kind of were di- discussing earlier yes. uh, in email. Um, so the thing about Spotify and uh, Google that's a little different is that you really have to, as a podcast player, you have to opt into their agreement. Mm-hmm. And and the reason for that is because they're a business and they want that agreement to be signed by everybody. But it also, it is a different kind of relationship you have with them slightly. I believe Spotify is actually copying your audio file and then serving it directly. Yeah. Which means so, that the podcast, traditionally, without you being involved, um, the podcast host wouldn't necessarily know what the podcast numbers were without having an account on Spotify. Hence the need to have a relationship with them so you can go look at the right, stats. Right. Yeah, so kind of to step back and look at the industry at a whole, um, you've had podcatchers and Apple Podcasts all along that fetch the RSS feed. RSS feed hit says, hey, new episode, hit play, episode streams. Um, you know, Google Play was the first to do this several years ago. Google actually said, oh, what we're going to do is we're going to look at your RSS feed, but if there's a new MP3 there, we're going to download that data and serve it out internally. So that was kind of the first black box for podcasting, right. which was the first sign of like, oh, things are changing. Yeah. Um, and Google did this with Google Play for quite some time. And then they pulled a 180 last year. Google said, actually, we disagree with the way we're doing this. RSS feeds and podcasts should be open like the web is open. Oh, they did that. I didn't yep. know Google did so that. So when you now go into Google Podcasts, um, you can – well. I could spend a lot of time on Google because <laughs> sure. I love what they're doing in the space right now. But um, when you listen to a podcast through Google Podcasts, no longer is it coming from their black box. It's coming from the origin of the RSS feed. That's great. I didn't um, know they are doing that. That's and now Google is surfacing podcasts, individual episodes in search results. So they realize the value of um, audio. Yeah. So let's say that somebody is for some weird random reason interested in anything about me after this episode is live and they could actually go out there and search for keywords from this episode. In the um, RSS file or in the audio file? Are in they, the audio file. They're Google's transcribing wow. internally for search benefit. So the Google search results will actually recommend this single episode to your show outside of the context of the That's, entire show. I can see why you like that for podcasting. And you, can, and you can listen to it in the Google search results. You don't have to like look it up on your phone and do it. You can add it to Google Podcasts directly from search. Well, that means that in the middle of this feed, we have to say, make sure to subscribe to us because if they're not subscribed, they want to hear the next episode. Exactly. So exactly. Your podcast that's, player of choice. And that's why, why it's important. And I yeah. think with Google making these moves, and trust me, we can see across our entire ecosystem how quickly Google Podcasts is growing in traction. Interesting. And I, a big reason for that is not just because they released the Google Podcast app on Android. 
That is a big reason because Android is a massive platform around the sure. entire world. And getting bigger every day. But also Google search. <laughs> <laughs> um, that is another way that people are going to start discovering audio outside the context of a show. And that's why it's very important to just assume that somebody may be listening to one specific episode and have no context for your show. Really important then to also have an intro in the beginning that kind of says what the show is about and exactly. why we're doing it and exactly. all that. Yeah. That kind of recommendation that I got it's, from It's kind of like how YouTube in some ways become a search engine. For like, I have a leaky faucet. Right. Um, I will go and watch a video on how to fix that O-ring, but I will in no way subscribe to that person's feed because I don't need to do home improvement every weekend. I just need to fix a leaky right. faucet. When you, unless you, unless they're really entertaining and then you want to watch it. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> think, maybe I'll do more in my home. Um, do, you, do you see the stats differently when someone plays from the search results versus subscribes or plays from the player as a subscribe member? Yes and no. So um, one thing to we'll jump ahead from kind of the RSS standard sure, into let's stat. talk data and yeah. analytics and kind of why downloads are, are not as good as streams. Um, so yes. So over the past two months, two things have happened pretty big in regards to listening to podcasts through the web browser. You think that the web browser was dead and now like podcast consumption through the browser is rising. Two things happened. One was Google started surfacing audio content in the browser for search. And two, Apple rolled out new preview pages. So now when you click through to the Apple Podcast landing page. You can play. You can play right there. Yeah. Um, you'll soon be able to subscribe right there. Like So again, I get to test something in the web browser long before I give it that golden seal of approval of I'm going to subscribe and put this on my mobile device right. or my watch or whatever. Uh, it gives me kind of that chance to preview it. Um, and so that, yeah, you've, you've kind of seen that rise. So what we immediately did when we saw that come in was we actually rolled out a new metric within our dashboard. Um, instead of just understanding which apps people are listening through, which, you know, device types, we also started looking at web players across the internet. And we added that as an entirely new metric because it's important for you to know not just Apple podcasts is X percent. What is a phone? What is through the web browser for Apple Podcasts? And now, you know, with the new OS coming out this fall, who is actually listening at Apple Podcasts on the desktop? Right. So web players have made across the board what we can see, again, through the whole ecosystem of all of our podcasts, all of the downloads. Web players in the past 90 days have skyrocketed um, because Apple and Google, two Are major players. Doing in- it. And they kind of did it at the same time. Yep. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, I think it's a it's an interesting. It means that much more discovery, right. right? It really means discovery. And and both when those that play button is hit through the web browser, it's not downloading. Yeah. It is fetching byte after byte after byte. So that means us as a platform, uh, we can study that MP3 at the surface level and say this device touched the MP3 here, touched the MP3 here. So it starts to give us better insight into drop off points yeah. and speed listened and elements like that. Yeah. So. Um, it's definitely oh, speed listened. Interesting, of yeah, course, right? Yeah. yeah, we have a we have a new metric that we're rolling out soon. For we're starting with our embed players, so the embed players that can be put on any site. Um, we're actually tracking um, skip points as well as drop off, but also speed listened. And it's been funny because, uh, and I can show you uh, a preview of this today before I leave. But I've had a lot of uh, a lot of clients and customers say recently, like, "Why do I need to know like speed listen?" I'm like, one. You should just embrace data because it's amazing and <laughs> yeah. you want to know. <laughs> sure. um, but two, like, 
seriously, if you notice that half your listeners are listening at 2x, there's a chance you maybe talk too slow. Or if <laughs> or half your listeners such, yeah. are listening at half speed, you probably talk too fast. Right, right. Um, so I think there's a lot of interesting things that you can... But also, you know, if you have a segment or a way of talking about something that you're doing every week and you find out people are skipping it, right? Yeah. That's important to know. And and I will show you this after uh, today because we're going to be rolling this out in the next couple months. But literally what we do is we overlay a heat map on your waveform so you can see the points of which people are skipping your audio file. Like, what if you notice that you have a massive skip point at nine minutes in, but you don't have an ad? That probably means that you went off track or I started speaking or something that people are like, well, I'm going to skip over that right. and we're going to move on. I think so. for my podcast, it would be redundant content that we <laughs> talked about before kind of thing like, oh, this is the rant again. Yeah. <laughs> um, fascinating. I think that's really interesting. I, I, what, another thing, a piece of that is that that's actually not specific to what you're specific to what you're doing and the tools you're investing in making that visible. Mm-hmm. But of course, the GeekSpeak feed that I run myself, all that data is on my server, right? I could look at it and analyze it if I if I had staff like you to, to invest and right, do that kind of right. thing. Um, and it's interesting, like one of the, I'd love that data and knowledge. Um, at the same time, I. I didn't even understand that the podcast players had changed in that way, that they were doing streaming until the, our conversation today. I really just assumed that the, the default state was download the entire thing. However, when I look at my stats, and the reason why my stats are kind of complicated to analyze is that they're always partial, 20, 206, 204, partial content download, which is what we're talking about for right, streaming, right. right, which chunks at a time. Mm-hmm. And, of course, your server can determine that, si- that chunk size. You can, re- you know, you can kind of, the handshake between HTTP can actually specify that. Yes. So I'm assuming that you also focus on making sure that that granularity fits the, you know, making it more efficient to download still. It does. But also enough that you get the analyze that you'd want. Yeah. yeah. And that, that gets a lot into kind of, you know, we are the CMS right now for publishing audio. We give you analytics back. But kind of the next phase of who we are as a company is definitely going deeper into data. I talked about, you know, that podcasting in a lot of ways still feels stuck in 2005. Like it's 2019 and the metric standard that is given to advertisers and success is still the download. Like not percent completed. It's still the download in 2019. So what we're really focusing on is better technology through machine learning to study how a device interacts with an MP3. Um, Also, privacy is a big part of this. Um, So... We have a method for identifying a device, and we basically call it a fingerprint. And that fingerprint is unique to your ASN, your user agent, and your device. Um, We fingerprint that anonymously. Um, There's no cookie. There's no information around that. While a lot of, you know, other people in the space are like, we need data. We're going to plant cookies on this and tracking pixels. What we do is we better – we fingerprint a device – And then we can better learn about that anonymous fingerprint as it moves between episodes. So, for instance, using our fingerprinting tech, um, one of the things that allows us to do that we're going to be releasing soon is is churn. We will be able to kind of give you a better idea of throughout your season where people are departing an episode. Like this fingerprint was seen on episode one, two, three, and it never came back. Um, So elements like that also gateway episodes like – what if you notice that, you know, we are Netflix is growing very quickly. Wouldn't it be great to know why it's growing very quickly? What if what if, you know, your last episode is the gateway episode that a lot of new people are being brought into mm-hmm. uh, because of this? And we see that across the board, especially with a lot of our our major shows is it's not the first episode that's their biggest draw. Like we have one of our customers and I think it's 
it's their episode like 14. It always is far above the rest. And we have looked at the data and that is their gateway episode. Like For some that, reason, that's where people start. For some reason, that is where people start. It's it's probably the one that gets recommended the most. Right. It's very engaging. Um, will people go back and start at the beginning after that? Absolutely. Um, but the gateway episode, for some reason, is episode 14. That's so really cool. what we are working to do uh, is build better data for the industry around this. Well, let's talk about the privacy aspect yeah. of it because, because of course, you know, you're saying fingerprinting and anonymous. And of mm-hmm. course, we know that once you create fingerprints, that is the identifier. Right. And that's not, if you're thinking that as an individual and you're tracking that as an individual, mm-hmm. a court order could kind of ask for data about that, right? right. Because well, now it's an individual. It's just yes, a it, it is. And that's, that's one big thing that we've been doing around this is knowing everything happening with California state law and GDPR. Yeah. Like there is a reason why we are, a fingerprint of a device is nothing more than a 60-character string of letters and numbers right. and symbols. Right. It is in no way identifiable to an individual. Right. Um, we do – to give you an example, um, we do a lot of testing internally of we are building a new feature and we need to address how a device touches an MP3 for byte range requests. There's no way to even know my device um, – which one's you? In Which whole one thing. is me? Right. Like we literally have to have me hit a specific MP3 file at the exact time that one of our to API engineers is. is looking at the log to go, "That's you." Um, so, like, it is not identifiable to an individual. There is no demographic information collected here, and that's well, okay. But here's the thing: here's the thing about about privacy and such. There is demographic information because you know what podcast they listen to. So you know, true. I, I happen to listen to my own podcasts. You know, I, I normally do check it once and I don't check the entire thing so knowing that information you go like well these are the three podcasts Lyle does he only listens the first 10 minutes if you look at all these users here's a probability that's within him so it's possible to do it gathering other information so the question I've got is how are you going to make sure that you don't do that you know what I mean in the sense like you could do it at some point it'd be like it'd be really awesome for a company to be like I want to know Give me all your identifiers and what shows you're listening to. Right. And then another podcasting hosting company is doing the same thing and also does that. Pretty soon the, that combined data is actually more valuable, especially if you can connect them up at right. some level. Well, so. and, and that's the thing. Like you look at what we are as we are half of the equation. We are the distribution and the gatherer of analytics. We're not the delivery endpoint. Right. Um, so we couldn't get that data if we wanted to because the only way to connect, say, what we call our fingerprint to an individual would be to have an individual – basically give us information right. through, say, an account sign-up of right. a listening I, I get that, and that does make sense. However, we could. I would assume that Google also knows the podcasts that people have discovered, mm-hmm. right? So now Google kind of knows, well, you know, this user, who they happen to know, has searched for and started playing these 12 episodes. Six of them are actually on Simplecast's hosting providing box, and they started around this time of day. Mm-hmm. So if Google got your stats on your information, they could correlate them back. So because of that kind of data, right? And right. not saying that a human would understand this, but algorithms could, could pick up this kind mm-hmm. of data. So That's the true. question is, the data set you have, that knowledge, how are you going to make sure that that doesn't happen? Or do you have anything in place where you will not, that you legally obligate yourself in some kind of user agreement not to sell it? Yes, absolutely. Okay. I mean, that is something and your right philosophy now. philosophy around this. Yes. Our <laughs> one philosophy, like there's a reason, like the, the thing is we want to help the podcast industry grow. We want grow. We want creators to have better data to better understand their shows and to monetize and grow and understand what content resonates. So right. to do that, you have to have better analytics. And that's your goal for the analytics. That, that's our goal. But at the same time, like there's a there's 
a big founding principle in kind of who we are and what we're about. Like you will see other companies saying, well, we're using cookies to uh, better track listening to podcasts or JavaScript or things like that. Like we are taking steps to say we aren't going to do that. Uh, And that's something that's very transparent in our terms of service as well. So we take privacy extremely important. Um, And that's a very important factor to, say, Apple. Like we work very closely with Apple. So we talk about the Apple RSS specs. Um, Why why do they work with you? They work with a lot of providers like us. So basically understanding – you see it's a dance. Like Apple is the directory and the discovery portal. But creators need us to get their content on to Apple Podcasts. Right. So Apple will share content with us before a new spec launches so our platform can be prepared for it. Um, you know, I was meeting with Apple last week and kind of showing them some of the new analytics that we're building and things like that. So it's good for that dance for them yeah. to kind of understand what we're building that will help creators be more successful, which means more interesting content and shows coming to Apple Podcasts. Right. Interesting. Um, okay. But again, they change RSS specs. They add tags. They change categories. There was a lot of big changes in Apple Podcasts announced a few weeks ago at WWDC. And and so, a couple of years ago of, of adding kind of a beta analysis as yep. well, which is about their player. Exactly. Which is really very useful for yep. podcast uh, uh Right. Publishers. So we work closely with them on this to be sure that when a new spec lands in Apple Podcasts yeah. this fall, we're ready for it. Um, but, you know, the privacy question comes up with a lot of these partners that They're we work fair. with. And Apple's and very on it. About yes, privacy. it is. Absolutely. And that is something that is at a core of our company. It's yeah. like we want data. We want to help. We want to help creators be more successful with they with what they create through data. But, you know, also at the same time, having privacy and anonymity. You know, part yeah, of that. yeah, that's good. Um, I love the 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 new knowledge about the download, partial download stuff. Mm-hmm. It it also feels to me like um, that kind of that kind of analysis could be a hit for someone that's been podcasting for a long time. Like, well, I've got this many downloads. You look at it, you're like, oh, nobody's playing this. Yeah. But it also explains why my uh, the the way downloads you know switched over time mm-hmm. they don't they don't look the same they right. look like you know partials instead mm-hmm. um, and non complete so that's fascinating fascinating yeah. information yeah there's 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 a lot that's kind of if you had to say like what's your focus for the next year as a company uh, it is in the, the data space yeah and so that you, that means you also every user agent that you hit and the way that a the way that a podcast catcher if you will actually attaches and connects is through HTTP and part of the HTTP spec is this is my header information. It's mm-hmm. called a user agent. Yep. It always has Mozilla in it because of early web stuff. That's not important, but because of <laughs> but that, it is important. <laughs> it is really important because so the client can you can say, oh, this is Apple's podcast player. This version, like mm-hmm. you even know what OS version it is. There's a lot more data around that, but. I would assume there's probably, you know, 10,000 of these things out there now. It's kind of a it's a it's a rate that's really hard to understand. So yep. I'm assuming you probably focus on the top certain amount, right? No, Which, I mean if it's it's really funny like if you were to go into say we are Netflix right now and go in and run a report on specific apps. Um you could look at a list of 100 different apps right now that are listening to your show. I guarantee you 80% you've never even heard of. Um like it yeah. it is interesting like when you get outside the major players, um, the long tail is really long. <laughs> the long tail is extremely long. Yeah. Um, you know, you have your more popular third-party players like Overcast and Breaker, uh, Castbox, and all of these. So, one thing that we do as well is we kind of have a system in place that monitors for unknown user agents. So, um, you so know, you see a brand new thing. Like, we hey, what's see that? a brand new thing. I mean, for example, like Apple announced. Um, 
you know, Apple Podcasts for desktop. They're they're dissolving iTunes, breaking out in individual apps. That is going to be amazing for podcasting, first of all. But like that means a new user agent. Um, so if Apple and since Apple's testing it, you've right, already seen it. We have already seen that coming in, and we're like, oh, we we have been notified here that there's a a growing user agent that has not been in our system before. So. That is the other thing that we do in addition to staying on top of RSS specs and Spotify needs something in an XML feed that hasn't existed. You don't have to worry about that. We do it behind the scenes and it just happens. But at the same time, in regards to analytics, you know, we are constantly improving that platform, finding new platforms that are letting you listen. Meaning when Google Podcasts rolled out in browser search, um, within 36 hours, we had a sprint. We kicked off and we rolled Google Podcasts user agent into our web player results. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the other piece of – got to be on top of that to do that. You have yeah. to be on top of that because if you just stop up, updating that, in three years, you're going to have a lot of apps falling underneath the unknown yeah, bracket. Yeah. Well, so in, the, <clears throat> in that new user agent space, each user agent is going to operate in a different way, right? Some user agent might be like default download the whole entire, th- the most recent episode, which right. is like overcast. I think right. default setting is to do that. Um, and then some are going to stream. And of course, if you're looking at just the generic um, iTunes pl- or Apple podcast player, early on it was download and now it's defaulted to stream. And so knowing that is kind of important or does it not really matter? Is that orthogonal to what the nope, usage it, is. It very much matters in where we're headed and how we're going to study data to provide more specific uh, looks into how your listens happen. For instance, if there is a app out there, we know the user agent, but we know that app by default streams, then we are going to be able to classify that immediately under a listen. And then what we'll do is we'll address the byte range requests to get a better idea of how much did they listen to. However, if we know it's an app, that always downloads, we're going to immediately put that under column one for it's likely a download, but we're still going to assess the MP3 and make sure it was downloaded because we will be able to see in the byte range request, was this just an instantaneous download to a device? So what you're going to notice in the platform over the next few months is to kind of keep the industry um, and keep everyone on the same page, we refer to everything right now as a download. Mm-hmm. But a download kind of is two different things. It's a mix of downloads and listens, listens being a stream. Right. What we're going to start doing over the next few months is is starting to pull those apart. So you can get a look at, okay, these are the downloads I had, but 62% of last week was actually streams. Mm-hmm. And using that stream data... That's when we'll be able to report on drop-off points and skip points right, and, right. and things like that. And so when Apple actually did their kind of beta program where they started saying, if a user is using the most recent OS and using our podcast player and has said we're okay with sharing data, we will give you anonymized information about those people's play right. states. Right. So the stuff you're talking about, the first time I was able to see this kind of thing was in that beta space. Now, mm-hmm. it's only the people that are using those things, so it's a very small audience, right. but the actual just even having you know a hundred people in that system tells you the quality of where people are dropping off, where how when people are exactly. finishing, completion details. So yeah, percentage is all you really need to know. Exactly, that. and yeah. that's the thing. Like, let's say you're you're split fifty fifty. On percent or download fifty mm-hmm. are streaming. You will gain a trend within that fifty percent that will probably give you a very good idea of what the other fifty percent looks like. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah I agree. Yeah. I agree. And I've been using it that way for a while. So. Um, 
the other thing that you're doing is being really good about talking about what the stats look like. Because, of mm-hmm. course, right now, if I host, you know, we have a con- Netflix has a contract with you for doing this podcasting. Um, and if at some point we want to change the relationship to go to somebody else, there's all this very useful statistics that you've been collecting and giving to us in a good view. Mm-hmm. And if we go to a different host, what's the, what's your biggest competitor? Sorry to do that to you. Well, but. no, no. It's I mean, it's across the board. So, like, if you look at... Um you know, like everyday consumers getting out there and starting, you've got platforms like Libsyn and Blueberry and Anchor kind of on the everyday consumer. Yeah, I think one of my podcasts yeah. is on Libsyn. Yeah. 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 So those companies, it might make sense for a company to move. And if you're right. in a, if you're in the, the business practice of being uh, holding on, that's going to make you less compelling for us to start a relationship with you. Right. Mm-hmm. So you've been talking to me a bit about like looking at how to move this data potentially. Right. What does that look like? Yeah. So this kind of goes back into that that company value where we talked about privacy. Like, again, podcasting is beautiful and is what it is because it's been an open ecosystem. And there's a lot of companies out there right now trying to wall it up and be like, well, we want to kind of be the Netflix of podcast, if you will. I and I could say that sitting at Netflix. <laughs> um, you know, but to do that, you it requires kind of a walled ecosystem. And that's not what podcasting has been. So in addition to kind of our open stance on privacy, Uh, Data is the other point. So one thing that we pride ourselves on is this entire platform you've been using this entire time is powered by a public API. Um, You could, in theory, um, publish to Simplecast without using our dashboard. You can use our API, publish through your Netflix intranet if you wanted to. You don't need us for data reporting. You can fetch all of the analytics that you get through Simplecast through our API and put them in your own dashboard. one one great thing about podcasting is how easy it is to move between platforms. So right. if you have a show that's on Libsyn and you want to come to Simplecast, you can easily move that. Right. Which is Except, actually an app, an iTunes, an iTunes tag right. and a 301 redirect. Yes, but yes a 301 redirect. Persist it forever if you yeah. can for the long tail. Um, I, could talk, <laughs> I could talk for the next 45 minutes about this. But, oh, well, let's do a little um, sideline on that. Yeah. Let's talk about that moving. Well, yeah. no, go ahead and finish your well, thought. And, we'll and so it. that's the thing. Like moving, we're talking about the content and the data, like what is surfaced in your RSS feed. Right. But if you move to show over to the Simplecast platform today, unfortunately, that data that you had before. All the is, web traffic information of how people download all the stuff we've been talking about. Correct. Yeah. That is locked away. Right. And that is something that we set as a platform to retain the transparency and openness of this ecosystem like sure if you need to leave simplecast and let's say bring your feeds in-house and start doing those in-house again you know we say well your content's yours but your data is also your content your listens and so that content is fully accessible via the api to be able to take with you and effectively download it for me because i'm the owner of the yeah you could you could bring all that data out and chart it in your own internal dashboards if you wanted to so yeah that's and so there's another side of this like we were hosting the podcast for a while internally online Mm -hmm. the aws instance that i put up i've got all the web logs from that but one of the things we talked about is how hard it is for you to take those web logs and then use them because you also want to make sure the integrity of the data is valid exactly let's talk about that yeah let's talk about that so first question is hey if you're moving your your show to simplecast why can't we just, you know, scrape your former dashboard and import that data too? And so this gets into data integrity and standards around the data in the industry. So to do that, I'm going to talk about the IAB. Um, and What's the, the IAB? Uh, the International, uh, the Advertising Bureau. Okay. So basically they have a standard in place. They have had for years um, the Interactive Advertising Bureau. We work with their tech lab. So basically digital interactive side. Right. 
um, to where they have had a set of documents for, for years now. And you follow these documents to say, this is what classifies as a download. X amount of time needs to be listened to. Or X amount of data needs to be transferred. Right. Or and if they're this, interested the, in that business because people want to be able to have like a basis for how much to charge for advertisers ads want to know that the data that they're seeing from one platform is the same as another. Right. So IAB has had kind of this this PDF document um, that you could download and follow as a standard, but it's open to translation because all you're doing is following a list of rules in a document. So. Last year, what IAB did was they rolled out a certification program, and we are actually going through IAB's certification right now, something that, again, you don't have to worry about. That's up to us. And what is happening in this process is the IAB brings in um, a third-party auditing firm. They address our code base, how we are looking at logs, how we are gathering data. Is there a way that maybe Lyle's two listens within one hour get lumped together as one, or are we counting that as two listens because it should be one? So they actually come in and audit. So not to get too in the weeds on this, what this is going to do is allow people kind of cross-platform to know, like, I'm moving between a compliant platform and a certified platform. I'm going to trust the data more with certified. But why this is important with moving data around is – Let's say you're moving into a IAB compliant platform in Simplecast, but you're coming from your own, uh, you know, home baked RSS feed and log files. Like you could, you could in theory have us scrape that and pull that data in to start with. But at that point, we can no longer confidently say that we, as an organization, can confidently back your analytics. Right, right. Which is what and, the certification is about. It's about yes, your organization. We want you to either be able to go to people in your organization or to advertisers and say 100%, you know, these this data is basically stamped by the IAB right. Tech Lab who is doing a sweeping effort across the industry to so, ensure So if Libsyn also follows the rules and mm-hmm. gets certified by them, yep. then it, even if the migration, you know, doesn't get the same dashboards, the data can be trusted as the same between the two companies, Correct. very useful for Correct. the individual be able to move and, and Yeah. Move so it. in addition to the openness of being able to leave, like the reason we surface this in an API is we want to push the efforts forward that if you did need to leave and go elsewhere, if you're moving internal or to another platform, um, that does want to import data, we will allow that to happen right, because it's right. in your API. Yeah, that's cool. Um, okay, so we pushed off the side for a second about reader moving podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's interesting because I, I, you know, a, a redirecting of a web page is part of the HTTP spec as well. Um, it is the the codes that you get. Everyone's familiar with the 404, the file not found. <laughs> that's become like a zeitgeist in our in our world. But it actually is a standard uh, code number that represents a certain type of error. Uh, not found, obviously. Right. <laughs> um, and there's a whole bunch of codes for that. And one of the ones you can do is is respond with a 300 series. And a 300 series, that means the content has moved in some way. It's status of the content. And a 301 is a is a saying saying, hey, the person that's looking for this resource, it is now always going to be at this other location. Never come back here again. Right. And if every every podcast player listened to that the first time and then changed and updated their thing, that would be lovely. Mm-hmm. Because then we, it would actually work. But of course, there's kind of this unknown thing that some podcast players, some long tails, are not going to pay attention to that 301 permanently. They'll just keep on asking for the original URL and keep on redirecting. Right. 
So what's your intent if I were to move the We Are Netflix podcast off of your platform? Would you keep that 301 as long as you exist? Absolutely. Okay. I, so I figured that was your answer. We, That's why we, I asked it that way. We do two things. <laughs> Again, a, a transparent organization is one, we give you direct access to that 301 redirect. And you don't find that in a lot of platforms, meaning you don't have to come to us and ask for permission. Uh, you, in theory, could... 100% move off Simplecast with never even speaking to me right. and properly do a 301 redirect. We then hold that in our system and retain that till the end of time. But the good thing is platforms like Apple and Google, they are very good about seeing a 301 redirect. And so what, what Apple will do is after it sees that 301 redirect, it will actually update their own internal systems to go, don't even think about this old feed, right. use the new one. Right. And in fact, and of course, yeah, in fact, I think that they actually also added something to the spec that says new location of podcast covered yep. with the tag Absolutely. Name. But that exists as well. So I was assuming that they always paid attention to that one rather mm-hmm. than the 301. But yeah, it doesn't it's, matter which yeah. way. You want to do both when you move. And I'm sure your web interface that allows me to re- redirect does both those things. It yes. changes the XML document, but also does a 301 yep. redirect, um, which doesn't matter to yours because theoretically no one's going to see your XML file. But it's very useful. Like when I did a 301 to my you know, my own system for We Are Netflix and pointed to you on your feed, uh, on the feed that you were providing, the new RSS file, it said new location is that same location. Right. So theoretically, I'm not seeing much traffic on my old 301. In fact, that information, I, I'd probably do analysis on that just to see how many people are still hitting it. I would love to do that yeah. with you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take a look at the stats. Yeah, let's, so I can let's, pull that uh, let's geek out about yeah, that. Exactly. So that's that, that movement, um, have podcast players gotten better at, at paying attention to that? Yes. Two, the big ones are doing I that. I mean, it's in their best interest to do that because nobody wants to just hold on to an old RSS that is no longer updated anymore. Yeah. And you know, that's why there's a lot of apps out there that rely on Apple's data to, yeah. like, confirm their records against. Um, I, I saw a really funny thing that happened on a podcast. It's actually uh, Overcast. Overcast was understanding HTTP and HTTPS as two different URLs for a long mm-hmm. time. And so I was getting traffic. Even though I was redirecting, yep. it was this kind of tricky thing that stats weren't moving. That, that um, What was happening, basically, one of the things that, are, that Overcast does that I love, which I wish more podcast players actually did, is that Overcast knows how many people have subscribed because they provide a push service and such, right. or he provides a push right. service and such. And the subscribe count actually gets handed in every HTTP request of the main system. So as mm-hmm. the main system looks for an updated X- XML document, it says, by the way, this many people are actually subscribed. Right. Really cool stat. I wish Absolutely. More, some, some do it, but it'd be cool if more of them did it. Um, but in any case, that was coming across as two hits. I was seeing my logs twice, and one was HTTP and one was HTTPS. He finally fixed that that problem, uh, the developer of Overcast. Um, but are you seeing that kind of thing emerge where you can see, oh, there's a player out there that's doing something wrong. Have you ever mm-hmm. talked to players and say, hey, you could fix this? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, we've, we have reached out to many developers that develop third-party apps of um, just anything from the way that we're seeing downloads happen to RSS feeds not updating properly or they're not, like you said, fetching a 301 redirect. Um, because there are some developers out there of these apps that they don't have a system to where they dynamically update and they don't look for changes and they need to. Yeah. Um, and in a lot of cases they say, well, that podcaster needs to come to us and tell us about the new RSS feed. I'm like, they no, did. How about, yeah, <laughs> how about they did by doing a 301 <laughs> yes. redirect? So it's like, how can we work together to better yeah. this? Yeah. Luckily, you know, you know, with Apple still dominating over, over 70% of the listening market between iTunes, God rest its soul, and, you know, Apple Podcasts, Google and Spotify and, you know, all the other major players like that makes up, you know, 97 yeah. percent of of listening out there. 
Do you have, and when you reach out to a developer because you see some traffic and mm-hmm. it seems like, oh, this could be better, done better here, you know, make sure to do the redirect, whatever. Yeah. When you talk to them, do you actually, are you collecting resources for them? Because one of the things I notice about, uh, I, I, I've never developed a podcast player, but I've definitely put in, you know, a web player that actually abide by and such. Right. I feel like the the resource level of what the right way to do that is is so spread out and on not yes. clear. It seems it, like a good well. Like when we, we don't, I don't even do we have an RFC that's no, really about we, the spec completely. When we talk about standardization, and yeah. I've had this conversation with the IAB, which this is not their world, no, but right. I was like, it would be really great if somebody would come along and create a standard for like what an app should do. Yeah. Um, this is how an app should treat a 301 redirect. This is how a third-party app should treat a download. Yeah. Uh, this is a stream. This is a byte range request. This is your user agent. Yeah. The thing More that would be commonly very cool, than anything, yeah. we reach out to developers about user agents. So like because they Luminary, use the default one, right? Right. Even even Luminary, uh, when that app launched a month ago, like we worked directly with some members of their team because we weren't getting a user agent back. We we're like, look, you know, you need to do that. Otherwise, people looking at their Simplecast stats are going to have no idea that you're important. That you're important. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, it's we had the discussion with Apple the other day, like that their new desktop version come, is coming out, and we talked about, hey, what's the user agent going to look like so we can prep for that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it, se- it seems to me that um, a company like yours that's providing open data and trying to be more transparent about, or at least for the individuals, but also more transparent about how the industry should work and such, mm-hmm. seems like it's a great opportunity for you to say, here are podcast players that are doing some good things and here are some check marks that aren't checked, right? So that it, as that occurs, of course, if you're a developer and you see your name show up on a page somewhere with right. information about like what's not happening, that seems like a really beneficial thing to do yes. for developers. Yes, and, and I think you're going to see over the next couple of years of, you know, we'll certainly be involved in this, but there are some a lot of internal in our industry movements to create a better list of standards and understandings. Um, James Cridland, who runs Pod News, uh, is a big, ad- big advocate, advocate for this. Like he, uh, he keeps a lot of documentation on his website about all known user agents. And, you know, when we were developing our new platform late last year, we actually relied on James's data to give us a lot of our founding information around user agents. James who? Uh, Cridland. Mm-hmm. Podnews.net. Um, if you're not subscribed to that newsletter, definitely do that. It's, it is a daily newsletter with just about any bit of information that you want to know uh, around podcasting. Yeah, okay. I'll put it in the feed um, too. But, you know, James is doing a fantastic effort of, like, documenting. Um, he released one maybe a month ago is an ideal spec on how show notes should be formatted. Oh, these are, these are the tags that should be used. This is what you should stay away from. So po- it feeds for in the RSS feed. Right, in yeah. the RSS feed. Like, stay away from HTML and stay away from image tags. Like, literally use bold and underline and links and things like that. Yeah, yeah, so good. Okay, I'll, he, I'll uh, take a look at his Yeah, stuff. and he's publishing great. a lot of this online. And, yeah. you know, we, we've spoken with James about this. We've used a lot of his resources. But I think he is part of kind of a bigger movement in the industry yeah. of like, hey, guys, come on. Like, it is an open ecosystem. But it is just going to be a mess if we all kind of don't start working towards a standard. And the thing that that I think the thing that's important here is that there is large business potential for these wall garden businesses to actually mm-hmm. take advantage of this of this new of this infrastructure, right? And to to own it in some ways and do it right. better right. than the the loose form is done. So the more that the loose form groups can kind of structure and get better, the more it can compete, if you will, with the closed ecosystems. Absolutely. Um, Let's talk a bit about the closed ecosystems. I, I noticed that on I was I just asked Google Home. I, I use Google in my in my home. I just asked it to play uh, one of the most recent episodes because uh, one of the shows I do, and only one of the three shows that I do regularly is actually available. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because I told Google about it and I kind of signed a thing. Um, 
that relationship and that feature being on, I don't know if Amazon's doing it or not, has to do with what Google is indexing, what search I'm right. assuming. Google, Google, you're going to notice now that they are kind of surfacing all this data um, and they're transcribing internally for search results. The, uh, the thought and the idea of submitting to Google is going to be going away from that point. Like, Because right, we don't have to do that anymore? Right, right, correct. Yeah. Right now, if... You know, there's a reason that we have a site builder built into Simplecast and it follows a very specific spec that Google needs because Google, to index a podcast, it needs to have a web presence. So we talked about in 2005, you would have a website with an XML feed on it. That is what Google is looking for. So that is why for when you create a show on Simplecast, even if you don't use this, there is a hidden site um, so that Google can index it. So that Google it. can index it and right. find it correct. Right. So as Google kind of, and they're just in the process of rolling this out. So I think over the next few months, you will publish a new episode um, and Google will have that data. Just like you create a new website on a website builder and within three days, you're finding that on Google. Right. They're treating audio in the same way. I think that's way. a better way to do it than having the 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 have to subside, you know, sign it, up. And it is. I mean, system. and th- and that is, I mean, it's core to what made this industry and what will continue to help it grow is, yeah. is that open indexing and being able to find content, you know, outside of just how do I discover a new show, but yeah. how do I discover a new show via a piece of content? A few years ago, I got on this kick of, you know, cause my podcast has been around since 2005, the show I've been doing since 2000 and on radio. And, uh, I was like, Oh, let's see how it looks online. You know, it's been around yeah. for a long time. So I start looking around and there's there's notes about it that used to exist on the page and a long time before. The first mm-hmm. scrape that the podcast mm-hmm. player ever did. And it's some website that hosts that and it's slightly off. And I started trying to make accounts there and set up ownerships. And it was just <laughs> like, I just let go of interest in it at some point because it's like, I there's too many, the long tail is too long yes. to deal with that yep. then. So what about that kind of thing? You know, there's some some copy and they're not doing it appropriately and stuff. Even just website re-indexes and stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you just not pay attention to them because it's not Apple or it's not Google? Or you know, where do you think about that kind of space? Well, a lot of these like really random landing pages that you might find with a podcast on it, like all of that data has been scraped from some point. Right. Um, and that is probably, let's say it is a Simplecast powered show. That data has probably come from the RSS feed or the, the site, most right. commonly the site. Uh, and that is why that either public or hidden, whatever you yeah. as a creator choose, it is surfaced on the internet because we want this information to be scraped yeah. so that these third-party smaller sites of just they scrape they the internet it. for podcasts, they're finding the data, they're finding the updated content, they're finding the updated show notes versus only seeing that in an RSS feed. Yeah, and the noise of the internet of just keeping that up to date is not that important. Right. Like, if right. they copy it and they keep it there, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that is why it's so important. And and even if you do find a lot of these smaller – trust me, I, I see the data across our ecosystem. Like some of the, the most random sites that you're like, somebody's listening to my podcast on this website that I've never heard of. Like we're going to be surfacing that data for you to be able to see these web players that people are coming from. But – you know, the good thing about all of those is at the end of the day, they still include typically a link to Apple Podcasts and your RSS feed. Right. And at the end of the day, that's what you want even if somebody comes across and discovers this episode through a random website uh, that scraped our RSS feed, 
Um, they could listen to it and they could actually say, I love Lyle's show. I want to subscribe. At the end of the day, there is a link to Apple and there is a link to the root RSS feed. Which is important. Though. Most people are going to then use that to subscribe sure. in their app of sure. choice. Well, I think it's really exciting. It's nice to hear all the new stuff that's happening for, for Apple and Google from you. I, I, that's fascinating. I wasn't expecting that good news from Google. Um, is there anything that you want to touch base on before we close out today? Uh, no. I think I think I kind of spent way too much of your time talking <laughs> through all this. I think it's um, fascinating. Yeah, we, there, we hit a little it, over an hour, but I think we're Good. It it is it's just a very exciting time right now, yeah. especially you know like I've been I've been hitting hitting the table for years saying podcasting 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 and it's finally starting to happen and like the way that podcasting is growing internationally and the way that podcasting is making its move into like corporations and big enterprises who are doing internal podcasts for like employees and HR um, I think that you know we we have said like oh podcasting is finally having its explosion. Mm-hmm. I think we haven't even touched the surface of it yet. Um, You know, podcasting, we have so much work to do internationalizing podcasting. And the fact that you can say to your Alexa, play a podcast, and it's not there yet. Like, we still have a very long way to go as an industry. Um, But it's it's exciting for kind of the the audio on demand, if you will, the next few years. Yeah, definitely. Um, And just to be clear, and your business model is pretty clear, you I, do you have a free plan? You don't have a free plan, no, do you? No. no. Yeah, basically, if you want a, a host to you, you take care of the R, the RSS. You take all this care of all the stuff we just talked about, right? And of course, the plan is based on how many podcasts you have, right? Or the plan it it's it's several factors. Most most plans are based on the granularity of the tool sets that you need. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, if you're just wanting to get started and you're like, I need a secure RSS feed, I need a website, and I need to be on all the different platforms, the base plan works 100. percent um, we're not turning off any core tools. The base plan does as much as like the professional plan all the way at the high end does. Sure. Um, the things that you start to unlock more with as you move up through the tiers are, uh, one, more data and more granularity and analytics. Like the ability to not just say look at your downloads over the last week, but look at unique downloads over the past 24 hours and break that out by the hour. So you can actually see effectiveness of, say, a social media campaign Mm -hmm. around a certain episode. So you unlock a lot of data. Um, There's tons of other things in regards to web players, uh, pages for the Simplecast site. Um, One of the most popular is team members. Uh, As you know, with with the Netflix shows, like you can invite collaborators into your account. Uh, You can either make them admin you can make them a manager. You could make them analytics view only. So you could invite, you know, colleagues to come in and just be able to run reports on your data. Which so, is way useful. Yeah. Right. right. So that's but useful kind of, for large organizations, right. not small organizations. Right. So yeah. like small organizations or individuals, like with the base account, you come in, you get the ability to invite one person. That doesn't work for a Netflix. Right. Sure. Um, so. Cool. Well, thank you very much for doing this with me. Um, I'm glad that you're excited about it. I'm glad that you're doing what you're doing. Um, I, I hope that that kind of kind of some of the core values that you've got are more prevalent uh, in that industry than than I had feared at some level. Mm-hmm. It's nice to see some success in the space. So thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I appreciate it. You can learn more about Brad Smith uh, on Twitter. I think it's a good way to do it, right? <laughs> at Brad. Yep. Or Instagram. We got or that Instagram one there too. too. <laughs> oh, good, good. And of course, it's simplecast.com if you want to learn about the business, the plans, all that kind of thing. Um, do you advertise who you actually currently are hosting as podcasts? Or is that all private? Um, it's it's, it's a mix not, of both. It's not yeah, exactly it's not. private because the URLs are there, right? So yeah, exactly. Yeah, so you do have some of the bigger shows that are on mm-hmm. your service. Yeah, I mean we have a name drop. Uh, let's name drop a few. I think just in the past couple of months, like Topher Grace's new show, Alyssa Milano. Uh, we're proud to like Dak Shepard. Uh, we power his show. 
but you look on kind of the business side as well. Like I think we have this great new client called Netflix that I've we work that. very closely yeah. with. Yeah. Um, you know, we power shows from Twitter and Facebook and, you know, Mozilla and Red Hat. So we definitely, uh, you know, it's apparent that security, transparency and openness uh, have helped us grow kind of in the in the technology world as yeah, well. Yeah, so. that's great. All right. Thank you very much, Brad. Thank really you, Lyle. Geekspeak is a registered service mark of David Lawrence. user permission and Geekspeak is Creative Commons Attribution 3.0. Use our stuff anyway you'd like. Just let them know we made it. The theme song is by Michael Newman of Pet Star Music. I'm Lyle Troxel. I love this guy, by the way. I love it. It's a great unit. However, there's one thing that's really annoying about the Zoom 6. You can record on an SD card, multi-track, which right. is what I do, right. because that way if my computer crashes or I don't have a computer, everything's good on the audio. Or you can use it as a sound card and you can pipe it in your machine. Mm-hmm. You can use it that way. But you can't record on the SD card while you're piping it in your machine. And that would be the preferred thing, right? Because then I've got my SD card full channel separated, machine crashes, no big deal. Oh. But... I'd still have the feed and I have the machine running. And then I would right. do it that way every time. But I need it rock solid rather than having it. Yeah, I, I've been wanting to get one for the office just because I love the freedom of being like, I don't have to have 18 things plugged yes. in. I don't even need a computer right. if I didn't want right. to. No. Yeah. You don't even need, I mean, we could do this whole thing with the mic that comes with it, this little this little surround sound right. mic here, and just sit it in a room that sounds okay. It would be yeah. fine. All right. I Send like me your affiliate ones. code, and I'll buy yeah. that on Amazon tomorrow. <laughs> exactly. You just pushed me over the edge. I've been on the fence for like a month, so now I know. It's interesting. We have another internal, uh, the internal podcast I started at Netflix is uh, getting restarted by somebody else that mm-hmm. saw it. and was like, he didn't do anything with it. I was like, well, I'm doing the public one now. So, And uh, he went ahead and bought some headsets that are headset microphones, kind of like you'd have um announcers at a, at a game mm-hmm. and the they were 200 bucks a piece and the quality of them was really good and he's using the zoom six for them that sounds like a great kit like really? I'm, not, I'm not sold that it was great audio because it sounded okay to me on the headphones i was using and maybe if i had gotten my editing chair and started listening i'm like mm. but it sounded good <laughs> enough where it's like that's a great kit because that's the zoom h6 some way of of uh you know look a little preamp for the headphones and then everybody's got is wearing them no tables necessary just a quiet room so i'm kind of tempted to 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 do that kit i'll send you the uh, if that i think the audio is good i'll also send you the um the link to those yeah. headsets yeah please yeah. do because then then you like have four things and you can interview three people that's amazing yeah no 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 and that's that's kind of my setup right now at the office that we all kind of share is just big and bulky and plugged into an imac and it's annoying 